Welcome back, Heming Brainiacs, to the Heming Brainiac Podcast of Excellence. We're talking about Of Human Bondage, Chapter 27, Team Weeks or Team Haywood. What was the book he got given at the end? Those are the discussion prompts. I am Norwegian said this, I don't think I like Haywood. And his argument does very conveniently allow him to save face without having to come up with an actual argument. But at the same time, I have started becoming more sympathetic to arguments based in aesthetics or intuition. You get too logical and too rigid and you cut yourself off from so much that is of great value. When everything is deconstructed by academic cynicism to fit into neat and clean theory, you're already talking on a level that cannot allow the poet to state his case because what he draws inspiration from is tossed aside. I'm reading The Soul's Code right now that sort of ties into this. I wrote some longer thing that would have just gotten longer if I didn't delete it. The main point is that the same thing is happening to a much greater degree today. It's not exactly a novel point. Dostoevsky brings it up a ton. It's basically what Nietzsche meant by the death of God. Jung harped on it, harped on it a ton. It's that ending scene from the Brothers Karamazov where one lawyer gets to make his case while the other lawyer is shut up for being too metaphysical. There's no place for those arguments any longer and people who find themselves stuck too much in the old age of romanticism are the transcendent are shut out. And the transcendent are shut out. Um, yeah, this was a big theme of that sort of era. War and Peace talks about it as well. Um, a lot. And it's kind of in the uh, how they categorize the different nations, you know. Um, the French are very kind of romantic people, um, and the Russians like that. The Russians like the French, even though you know, in War and Peace, Napoleon invades Russia. You know, they speak French. The aristocratic class of Russia, they hardly any of them even speak Russian at all. And so they like, um, they like the French for their idealism, and then contrasting that, their own allies, the Germans, to be called German is almost like an insult because they're logical uh, and rational to sort of like to a fault in the eyes of the Russians. So the Russians have a bit of a balance of like they do like logic, they do like truth, you know that kind of thing, but they also if a person is too much down that road, it's seen as like they're too rigid and you need kind of space for the divine, I suppose, or for like loftiness, as they often call it in uh, in Tolstoy. Loftiness of spirit, you know. Um, yeah, and I think still today... We're humans, so we see things through a, a lens of humanness. So we don't experience the world in ones and zeros. You know, we we there are things that are like uh, true on a human level, but not true on a logical level. And it's because we don't see things always through a logical lens. We see it through a human lens. So. Um, you know, like when you see something that's symbolic, it's not tech, it's not literally true. It's not technically true, but it's symbolic of a human truth. And your reaction is to go, oh, that's so true. 
it's not technically true it's humanly true you know what i mean uh like when you read a bit of fa- uh, bit of fiction you know and it feels real and you go oh it's so true it's not true you know it's not true but it's true on a symbolic level and yeah so i think that's how i always think but if you are too rigid and too fact oriented and too kind of rational then you kind of lose a bit of humanness Swim said the mum fish, she said, I'm team neither. They are both way too pretentious. Renan's The Life of Jesus asserts that Jesus should be written about like any historic person and that the Bible could and should be subject to the same, excuse me, same <clears throat> critical scrutiny as other hu- historical documents. Well, I mean, yeah. I don't think there's any, is there deny, do people deny that? If they do, that's dumb. Uh, I agree with the above. Oh, well, maybe I'm being too rigid now. Maybe I'm being too rational. Uh, I agree with the above. However, I don't agree with this. Renal also argued that Jesus was able to purify himself of Jewish traits and that he became an Aryan. His life of Jesus promotes racial ideas and infuses race into theology and the person of Jesus. He depicts Jesus as a Galilee. Galilean, who was transformed from a Jew into a Christian, and that Christianity emerged purified of any Jewish influence. Okay. I mean, I suppose he kind of did... um, You don't really think of him as the Jewish ideal, do you? Even though he was Jewish. So maybe, is that what they're saying? Like, you think of Jesus, (laughs) Jesus as a Christian, even though he wasn't a Christian. But... You know, this is from a layman. I don't know much about Judaism or Christianity, so um, I don't know. Interesting. Jan Brunt said, I attended Unitarian Church for part of my youth, and I have to say that Weeks' definition isn't too far off the mark. Atheists and agnostics are welcome at the Unitarian services, now Unitarian Universalist. Since the two sects merge in 1961, our church had an atheist social club that met weekly in the basement. <laughs> uh, in the US, Unitarian Universalism is known as about as liberal as you can be while still being religious, and sometimes the subject of jokes about not actually believing in anything at all. It's fitting that Weeks teaches at Harvard, as UU is sometimes jokingly defined as the fatherhood of God, the brotherhood of man, and the neighborhood of Boston. And Trepper said, I think Weeks has ulterior motives here. It looks to me like he sets up these little gatherings and engages Hayward in discussions in order to show Philip how shallow the man is. We already know what he thinks of Hayward, so there's not much reason to believe that Weeks enjoys or benefits from his company. He takes care to keep things civil, and Hayward will probably keep showing up as long as Weeks provides him with a beer. Weeks will probably continue to invite them until Philip either begins to start seeing chinks in the hero's armour, or Weeks sees that it's a lost cause. If I'm right, I think it's very... Sorry, it's a very kind, older brother type of thing for Weeks to do. After all, Philip is alone with no one to guide him. Sorry, a bit sniffly. Springtime, hey? Here comes the hay fever. Bring it on. 
Um, all right, cool. Yeah, I think I think I'm team weeks, but I also kind of agree with Swim, where they are a bit both too pretentious. These Ivy League lads. We got Oxley. We got Cambridge. We got Harvard. They're all there. The gang's all here. And um, I don't know if I belong in any of those circles. <laughs> well, I, I definitely don't. And so, um, yeah, when you hear them just kind of like intellectually sparring, it is pretentious. You just go, who cares, guys? Just bloody have a have a beer and play some play a board game or something. <laughs> you know? Shut the hell up about it. That's my own thing, though, you know. That's my own thing. That's my own thing. All right, let's keep reading, because I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about chapter 28, which goes like this. It occurred neither to Hayward nor to Weeks that the conversations which helped them to pass an idle evening were being turned over afterwards in Philip's active brain. It had never struck him before that religion was a matter upon which discussion was possible. To him it meant the Church of England, and not to believe in tenets, was a sign of wilfulness which could not fail of punishment here or hereafter. There was some doubt in his mind about the chastisement of unbelievers. It was possible that a merciful judge reserving the flames of hell for the heathen, Mohammedans, Buddhists and the rest would spare dissenters and Roman Catholics, though at the cost of how much humiliation when they were made to realise their error. And it was also possible that he would be pitiful to those who had no chance of learning the truth. <clears throat> this was reasonable enough. Though such were the activities of the missionary society, there could not be many in this condition, but if the chance had been theirs and they had neglected it, in which category were obviously Roman Catholics and dissenters, the punishment was sure and merited. It was clear that the miscreant was in a parlous state, Perhaps Philip had not been taught it in so many words, but certainly the impression had been given him that only members of the Church of England had any real hope of eternal happiness. One of the things that Philip had heard definitely stated was that the unbeliever was a wicked and a vicious man, but weeks, though he believed in hardly anything that Philip believed, led a life of Christian purity. Philip had received little kindness in his life, and he was touched by the American's desire to help him once, when a cold kept him in bed for three days, Weeks nursed him like a mother. There was neither vice nor wickedness in him, but only sincerity and loving kindness. It was evidently possible to be virtuous and unbelieving. Also, Philip had been given to understand that people adhere to other faiths only from obstinacy or self-interest. In their hearts they knew they were false. They deliberately sought to deceive others. Now, for the sake of his German, he had been accustomed on Sunday mornings to attend the Lutheran service, but when Haywood arrived, he began instead to go with him to Mass. He noticed that whereas the Protestant church was nearly empty and the congregation had a listless air, the Jesuit, on the other hand, was crowded and the worshippers seemed to pray with all their hearts. They had not the look of the hypocrites. He was surprised at the contrast, for he knew, of course, that the Lutherans, whose faith was closer to that of the Church of England, on that account were nearer the truth than the Roman Catholics. Most of the men, it was largely a masculine congregation, 
were South Germans, and he could not help saying to himself that if he had been born in South Germany, he would certainly have been a Roman Catholic. He might just as well have been born in a Roman Catholic country as in England, and in England as well as in Wesleyan, Baptist and Methodist family, as in one that fortunately belonged to the church by law established. He was a little breathless at the danger he had run. Philip was on friendly terms with the little Chinaman who sat at a table with him twice each day. His name was Sung. He was always smiling, affable and polite. It seemed strange that he should frizzle in hell merely because he was a Chinaman, but if salvation was possible, whatever a man's faith was, there did not seem to be any particular advantage in belonging to the Church of England. Philip, more puzzled than ever had than he had ever been in his life, sounded weeks. What? Sounded weeks. He had be, had to be careful, for he was very sensitive to ridicule and the acidulous humour with which the American treated the Church of England disconcerted him. Weeks only puzzled him more. He made Philip acknowledge that those South Germans whom he saw in the Jesuit church were every bit as firmly convinced of the truth of Roman Catholicism as he was of that of the Church of England, and from that he led him to admit that the Mohammedan and the Buddhist were convinced also of the truth of their respective religions. It looked as though knowing that you were right meant nothing. They all knew they were right. Weeks had no intention of undermining the boy's faith, but he was deeply interested in religion and found it an absorbing topic of conversation. He had described his own views accurately when he said that he very earnestly disbelieved in almost everything that other people believed. Once Philip asked him a question which he had heard his uncle put when the conversation at the vicarage had fallen upon some mildly rationalistic work which was then exciting discussion in the newspaper. But why should you be right and all those fellows like St. Anselm and St. Augustine be wrong. You mean that they were very clever and learned men, while you have grave doubts whether I am either? asked Weeks. Yes, answered Philip uncertainly, for put in that way his question seemed impertinent. St. Augustine believed that the earth was flat and that the sun turned around it. I don't know what that proves. Why, it proves that you believe with your generation. Your saints lived in an age of faith, when it was practically impossible to disbelieve, what to us is positively incredible. Then how do you know that we have the truth now? I don't. Philip thought this over a moment. Then he said, I don't see why the things we believe absolutely now shouldn't be just as wrong as what they believed in the past. Neither do I. Then how can you believe anything at all? I don't know. Philip asked Weeks what he thought of Hayward's religion. Men have always formed gods in their own image, said Weeks. He believes in the picturesque. Philip paused for a little while, then he said, I don't see why one should believe in God at all. The words were no sooner out of his mouth than he realised that he had ceased to do so. It took his breath away like a plunge into ice-cold water. He looked at Weeks with startled eyes. Suddenly he felt afraid. He left Weeks as quickly as he could. He wanted to be alone. It was the most startling experience that he had ever had. He tried to think it all out. It was very exciting. Since his whole life seemed concerned, he thought his decision on this matter was profoundly affect its, would profoundly affect its course. 
and a mistake might lead to eternal damnation, but the more he reflected, the more convinced he was, and though during the next few weeks he read books, aids to scepticism with eager interest, it was only to confirm him in what he felt instinctively. The fact was that he ceased to believe, not for his not for this reason or the other, but because he had not the religious temperament. Faith had been forced upon him from the outside. It was a matter of environment and example. A new environment and a new example gave him the opportunity to find himself. He put off the faith of his childhood, quite simply, like a cloak that he no longer needed. At first, life seemed strange and lonely without the belief which, though he never realised it, had been an unfailing support. He felt like a man... Oh, oh yeah, it's springtime. It's springtime. Oh, i got to take an antihistamine. That's what i got to do. Uh, okay, what was I saying? He felt like a man who leaned on a stick and found himself forced suddenly to walk without assistance. It really seemed as though the days were colder and the nights more solitary. But he was upheld by the excitement. It seemed to make life a more thrilling adventure, and in a little while, the stick, which he had thrown aside... The cloak, which had fallen from his shoulders, seemed an intolerable burden of which he had been eased. The religious exercises which for so many years had been forced upon him were part and parcel of religion to him. He thought of the collects and the epistles which he had been made to learn by heart and the long services of the cathedral through which he had sat with every limb itched with the desire for movement and he remembered those walks at night through muddy roads to the parish church at Blackstable, and the coldness of that bleak building. He sat with his ice, with his feet like ice, his fingers numb and heavy, and all around was the sickly odour of pomatum. He, oh, he had been so bored. His heart leapt when he saw he was free from all that. He was surprised at himself because he ceased to believe so easily and not knowing that he felt as he did on account of the subtle workings of his inmost nature, he ascribed the certainty he had reached to his own cleverness. He was unduly pleased with himself, with youth's lack of sympathy for an attitude other than its own. He despised not a little Weeks and Hayward, because they were content with the vague emotion which they called God, and would not take the further step which to himself seemed so obvious. One day he went alone up a certain hill so that he might see a view which, he knew not why, filled him always with wild exhilaration. It was autumn now, but often the days were cloudless still, and then the sky seemed to glow with a more splendid light. It was as though nature consciously sought to put a fuller vehemence into the remaining days of fair weather. He looked down upon the plain, a quiver with the sun stretching vastly before him. In the distance were the roofs of Mannheim, Mannheim, and ever so far away the dimness of worms. Here and there a more piercing glitter was the Rhine. The tremendous spaciousness of it was glowing with rich gold. Philip, as he stood there, his heart beating with sheer joy, thought how the tempter had stood with Jesus on a high mountain, and shown him the kingdoms of earth. 
To Philip, intoxicated with the beauty of the scene, it seemed that it was the whole world which was spread before him, and he was eager to step down and enjoy it. He was free from degrading fears and free from prejudice. He could go his way without the intolerable dread of hellfire. Suddenly, he realised that he had lost also that burden of responsibility which made every action of his life a matter of urgent consequence. He could breathe more freely in a lighter air. He was responsible only to himself for the things he did. Freedom. He was his own master at last. From old habit, unconsciously, he thanked God that he no longer believed in him. Drunk with pride in his intelligence and his fearlessness, Philip entered deliberately upon a new life. But his loss of faith made less difference in his behaviour than he expected. Though he had thrown on one side the Christian dogmas, it never occurred to him to criticise the Christian ethics. He accepted the Christian virtues, and indeed thought it fine to practice them for his own sake, without a thought of reward or punishment. There was small occasion for heroism in the Frau Professor's house, but he was a little more exactly truthful than he had been, and he forced himself to be more than commonly attentive to the dull, elderly ladies who sometimes engaged him in conversation. Sorry, I'm trying to talk over someone several hundred metres away who insists on having the loudest automobile in the world. Ah, golly. My neighbours, I tell you bloody what. Get off my lawn. Um, sorry, where was I? The gentle oath, the violent adjective, which are typical for our language and which he had cultivated before as a sign of manliness, he now elaborately eschewed. Having settled the whole matter to his satisfaction, he sought to put it out of his mind, but that was more easily said than done, and he could not prevent the regrets nor stifle the misgivings which sometimes tormented him. He was so young and had so few friends that immortality had no particular attractions for him, and he was able without trouble to give up belief in it. But there was one thing which made him wretched. He told himself that he was unreasonable. He tried to laugh himself out of such pathos, but the tears really came to his eyes when he thought that he would never see again the beautiful mother whose love for him had grown more precious as the years since her death passed on. And sometimes, as though the influence of innumerable ancestors, God-fearing and devout, were working in him unconsciously, there seized him there seized him a panic fear that perhaps after all it was all true. And there was, up there behind the blue sky, a jealous God who would punish in everlasting flames the atheist. At these times his reason could offer him no help. He imagined the anguish of a physical torment which would last endlessly. He felt quite sick with fear and burst into a violent sweat. At last he would say to himself desperately, after all, it's not my fault. I can't force myself to believe. If there is a God after all and he punishes me because I honestly don't believe in him, I can't help it. Alright, there we go. There's a chapter down. Oof, a little bit of a existential crisis here for Philip facing the 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 well the void of existence good on you Phil good on you um, have your say over at the subreddit thanks for listening and I'll see you tomorrow <laughs>